Hello everybody, welcome to Coffee Time with Byron. I am your host, Byron, live on YouTube at Coffee Time with Byron. Alongside me via StreamYard is former Major Leaguer Jeff Fry. Played from 91 to 2001, I believe. I, that's what I've got. Is that true? I'm hoping. Well, and the Major League's from 92 to 2001. Okay, so I was close. I was close. Yeah. <laughs> but welcome. Thank you for being here on short notice. I appreciate it. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember when you reached out to me, but I'm glad we finally got together. Definitely, definitely. And I got to start off with, like, as we were talking about on air, I mean off air, uh, the lockout, you were part of the first one. Now, as a player, I know you're not no more, but... No, hearing about it as a former player, you got to think, oh, God, why is this happening again? Like, we should not be in this again. The, you know, what is, what is going on through your head as a former player? Because you went through it back in the 90s. Yeah, I, um, I mean, these type of things happen when the, the deals are four and five years at a time, these agreements. And um, it's actually a pretty good system because it gives each night a chance to to change some things or attempt to change some things that they don't like about the agreement. And, um, <clears throat> you know, in 94, when we had our work stoppage, uh, you know, that was 28 years ago. Wow. Yeah, hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. I had, I had to get a job at a car dealership, but <laughs> you know, the minimum salary was 125,000. Now it's almost 600,000. And, but, but, Players also weren't making $40 million a year like guys are now. And, right. Um, I think, you know, it's in the best interest of the game to get this settled because I'm just not sure how sympathetic the fans are going to be this time around. We don't have Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa to rescue us. Um, so I, hopefully something gets done. In my mind, I think something will happen around the 1st of March. That way they get four weeks of spring training, which is plenty enough time. And um, hopefully we'll have baseball. And now, I got to ask you, since you brought that up, since you, you, used, you were right, you didn't have those – we don't have those kind of guys now. Is it, is it also because baseball and Manfred don't know how to market the guys like they did in your era to get them out of that kind of lockout phase? I mean, yes, there is Tatis, Trout – judging them but a lot of main players key players you don't know about that aren't marketed well do you think that could be why people aren't getting might not in your opinion might not get turned back on to baseball after this uh, i don't think baseball's ever done a, re a really good job of marketing his players you don't just don't see many baseball players on commercials you know you see ice harper and trout and maybe mookie betts but other than that, you don't see it. It's not, not like the NBA where you see a lot or the NFL. Um, but I think what's more worrisome is that you know the the game has become somewhat unentertaining. It's hard to watch. Mm -hmm. and so if you're having people having a hard time watching it anyway, and now you give them a reason to not want to watch because they're mad because the billionaires and the millionaires are fighting and they're the ones who can't watch their favorite sport. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, that's what's in danger here to losing those casual fans who are sick of, um, you know, these people not being able to get along. 
So what can, after that, what can then baseball do once we get out of this, the lockout phase? What can baseball do? Like you said, we had, in your time, you had the home run hitters, which was the, they promoted. I, I know they didn't promote it, but they kind of did by not testing the steroid era, which unfortunately, that'll, unfortunately, you'll live in that era, unfortunately. But what can baseball do to get fans to watch again, knowing that, like you said, a lot of fans will be upset? I think they have to... Uh... There's a couple things. I think that um, the way the game has turned where it's become so analytical now that, um, you know, there's just not much action on the baseball field. It's like 2.5 home runs a game and a game's three hours. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's less than a home run an hour. And in between you see a lot of walks and a lot of strikeouts and a lot of nothing happening. Right. And I think that we have to get back to – playing more situational baseball, hitting and running and stealing bases and bunting and the exciting squeeze plays. And, you know, the, the, the rally was, was exciting. Now you just don't see rallies. And right. It's just like guys are swinging for homers and, and hopes that they hit a couple a game and that's going to how they're going to score their runs. Now, whose fault do you think that is? Is it because the owners are hiring people to do this? What, what do you think is the problem in that why we don't see small ball anymore? Yeah, I think there's been an influx of analytics people brought into organizations and um, in front offices that are, you know, crunching their numbers and saying this is the best way to score runs. And if we score this many runs, we're going to win games. And so let's not attempt steals because stolen bases are a risky proposition. You know, 25% of the time you're going to get thrown out. And I think we need to bring some baseball people back into the game that actually know how to play the game and teach the game. And um, I think it's trending toward that. I've seen a lot of former players get hired as coaches, especially the Anaheim Angels hired three former big leaguers on their coaching staff. And I think that's a great thing. Mm. Um, I think it's going to get back to that because bottom line is if they don't have people watching the game, the TV deals are going to go down. Right. And if attendance is going to go down and, you know, in 10 to 15 years, who knows what's going to happen to baseball. Well, when speaking of that, with the TV revenue, when that, when you guys had it, the first lockout, do you remember what the TV revenue was for you guys? Were you guys getting a piece of that? Or what, 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 what went on in that negotiation with you? Because I know you guys were on uh, for the playoffs. I believe it was, I may have been four, but I remember this. You guys were on NBC and ABC. And nowadays, you guys don't even aren't even nowadays. Baseball isn't even on that. Yes, it's on ESPN, but it's not the same like it was in the '90s when you had the major hitters like CBS, NBC, and ABC all having your game. Like, what happened? Well, now they have ESPN, MLB Network, and they have Fox, and um, you know, and sometimes some other channels. You know, Nickelodeon even sometimes. Um, but I know the deals are big. We never saw any part of that money back then. There just wasn't, I don't think, uh, the deals weren't like they are today. And, um, and if you look at the three major sports, the NFL is negotiating, um, you know, like a $200 billion TV deal. Mm -hmm. The NBA is like 75 million. 
and Major League Baseball is like six. I mean, this is seventy-five billion. NFL is two hundred billion, and Major League Baseball is like sixteen billion. Mm. So we're not even in the same stratosphere as these other guys when it comes to watching. Very true. So you played college ball at Southeastern Oklahoma State, which is what a Division three school or two school? NAI when I was there, but now it's a D two. What was that experience like? Did you get scouted? Uh, how'd you get scouted? Because I know those lower division schools hardly, unless you're very good, you don't get you don't get scouted pretty much. So how 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 was it that you got scouted? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get scouted. Really? No, no. I I actually um, finished my senior year and thought I was over. My career was done, and my mm-hmm. teammate Benny Colbert was a junior. Mm-hmm got invited to a Texas Rangers tryout camp that he didn't want to go to because mm-hmm. he was pretty sure he was going to get drafted by the Cincinnati Reds. And so I uh, asked him if I could have his invitation. I went in his place. There you go. Hey, must know to have friends, right? <laughs> yeah. All in all is that. Yeah. Look what happened. You got, you, you ended up getting it. You signed with them. Yeah. Yeah. I had a great day and uh, ended up, you know, signed him, drafted me in the 30th round, and I played for 15 years. So it looks like, from what I'm seeing, you were five five foot nine inches. That's that's small for a ball player. Heck, I would have been I would have been even smaller than you if I was in the majors. But you don't see that often, where a player is under six foot, except for Altuve. That's the only one I know. And you were 165 pounds. Uh, I know in that era when you played, it was all definitely. Steroid, oh, steroid all up. Uh, uh, did you feel the pressure of having to do that, or did you was like, oh no, I better just stick to what I am, one hundred sixty five. You know, five foot nine, I can make it. I can do this. What was what yeah. was your mindset? Well, uh, when I was in A ball, I had a coach ask me if I ever considered using steroids, mm-hmm. um, and I said no. Why? He goes, well, I don't think you'll ever be big enough to play in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know anything. This is 1989. I didn't know much about steroids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd heard rumors that some NFL guys were using them. Lyle Alzado supposedly died with mm-hmm. a 30-pound liver from using steroids. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was pretty certain that uh, some of the, the professional wrestlers were using steroids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I said, no, man. If I'm not big enough, I'm not big enough. And I just – I didn't know what the – couple things i didn't know what the side effects would be mm-hmm. and so that was scary to me and also i all i felt like it was against the rules now it, it wasn't officially against the rules in the major leagues it wasn't in the we didn't have a drug policy when i came up but i know it was against the rules in society to do steroids they were illegal so i i didn't want to do that and i felt like it would have been cheating if I'd done that, so I don't have any regrets. There you go. I don't blame you on that. Like you said, you were drafted by the Rangers in the 30th round of the 88 draft. Uh, did you think you were going to go where you were at, or did you think you were going to go at least a little bit higher? Because I know back then there was a lot more rounds than what there is today, but did you know you were actually going to be drafted that high, or no, sorry, that low in the draft? No, I was just happy to get drafted. (laughs) I had no idea. I'd never talked to a scout or anybody except when I went to the trial camp. It's a lot different 
it was a lot different then than it is now, is obviously. True. Obviously, yeah. Um, but no scouts were calling me or beating down my door. I was just happy when they said I was drafted. So you make your debut July 9th, 92 at Arlington Stadium. You remember who you faced, and it was a rout. From what I'm seeing, it was a rout. You guys killed these guys. Do you remember who you faced? Yeah, Scott Scudder was a starting pitcher for the Indians. There you go. And uh, Nolan Ryan was pitching for us. You remember what the score was? You guys routed them. Uh, 12 to 3 or something like that, yeah, I think. Four, 14 to 4. Yeah, yeah. You went 2 for 3 with a triple, a walk, an RBI, and three runs scored. That's a good debut. Yeah, and it was all downhill after that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember most about that? Did you have, like, goosebumps? Did you, I mean, well, well, take us through that experience of your first your first day in the majors, your first call-up, and you get to play. Yeah, I was nervous. Uh, first time I stepped in the box, my first at-bat, um, I was shaking in my shoes. I was so nervous. I couldn't, I couldn't stop shaking. And I walked on four pitches that weren't even close, which was great. Mm-hmm. You know, and it kind of calmed me down. I got on base and broke up a double play. And uh, then it was just playing another baseball game, you know, that uh, I dreamed about my entire life. You know, never even imagined that it was a possibility that I could play at that level. And here I am, dream come true. You know, one of the best all-time greatest pitchers and actually, uh, catcher too. Pudge was catching. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yep, early in his career. Yeah. I was surrounded by so many other great players. I mean, yeah, you had, yeah, you had a who's who of characters, Hall of Famers, soon to be Hall of Famers alongside you. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. So I was, was just trying to not mess up. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Now it says you were also a leadoff. You were a leadoff hitter. What 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 was your mindset? Being has a leadoff hitter. Is it different than anywhere else in the lineup? How how is it has a mindset going as knowing that you're a leadoff hitter? Well, it's really only different your first at bat. Um, you know, once the game starts, you know you're not the leadoff hitter anymore. You're just at the top of the lineup. True. And your first at bat. You know, my job as a leadoff hitter was to see a lot of pitches, work the count, and try to get on base any way possible to set the table for the, the big boppers behind me. And, um, you know, I didn't – very rarely would I swing at a first pitch because <clears throat> I always felt like um, if I go up there and hit the first pitch and smoke a line drive out, I didn't do my job. My mm-hmm. job is to get on base. Mm-hmm. I'd rather get hit by a pitch, draw a walk, get on by an air right. um, than hit the ball hard and make it out. So my goal was to get on base, and that's what I tried to do. So, in on July 24th, which is my birthday, by the way, I was only a year old. You hit your first home run off Baltimore Orioles pitcher Arthur Rhodes at Camden Yards. Take us through that at bat. What do you remember about that at bat? And what'd you hit, what'd you hit off of him? Yeah, I remember that. It was a Saturday day game, and we were like the, the game of the... Uh, there's two games on that day. Mm-hmm. Back in those days, they wouldn't, you know, they'd have like two days a week where they televised baseball games. Mm-hmm. And Saturday was one of the days, and they would have by by region, they'd have one game on and then another game. 
and our game wasn't the game that was actually on. Mm-hmm. But they switched over because I let off the game with a home run um, off of Arthur, who's a good friend of mine. Um, but I remember it was a fastball, about 96, and I hit it really well. And, and um, the next time I, he threw me a curveball and I hit a double, and then the third time he tried to hit me. <laughs> but, but I remember it because Camden was, you know, brand new and, um, you know, it was such a cool place. And they had, you know, they had Palmero, they had Cal Ripken Jr. Yeah. They had studs. I think, I don't know if they had Palmero. They had, uh, I think, Eddie Murray. They did, yep. Alomar. I mean, they had BJ Surhoff. They had some great players. Yep. So after that, unfortunately, then the end year, the year happened, the end of the year happens. And unfortunately, you missed the 93 season due to injury. What what was it that you had? Was it, It's not telling me here what you had, but what what did you have that made you miss the whole year? Was it like Tommy John, something? What, no, what I you tore have? my ACL. I tore a ligament in my knee mm-hmm. um, in the offseason playing basketball. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we used to play basketball. That was our cardio. I, and I, a bunch of my teammates, like Kenny Rogers and Darren Oliver and Rick Helling, we'd play basketball at the local gym. And, mm-hmm. and uh, these guys got ticked off because we were kicking their butt. And this guy took me out, and I came down funny on my knee, and it popped. And uh, went home that night, put some ice on. It was really was terrified of what I had done. And... Um, Went to the doctor the next day. I lied to the Rangers and told them that I uh, was jogging at night and I stepped off the curb funny and twisted my knee and that something popped. And I went to the team doctor, John Conway, the next day and mm-hmm. MRI and had a torn ACL out for the season. Ooh, ouch. So what did you have to do? What, how vigorous was the rehab for you to come back? How How... Because did you want to did you want to have the opportunity to at least try to come back the re- the rest of that year, or did you have to do the full year, like everybody like like a typical ACL injury? Well, when that happens, um, it's basically six months to a year before you're going to be back. And um, I mean, I was fortunate to have a great uh, physical therapist, Marty Stadjuhar, um, that. Um, took me through all my training and I mean, all my rehab stuff and it was hard work, mm-hmm. very hard, but he pushed me and, and I made it through, but, uh, it just, it, it just takes so long to heal. It doesn't, it's nothing, there's nothing that you can do to speed up the process because it, your body has to heal from the inside out and the graft that they put in there actually has to attach itself. So you know, it's not like I could just power through and be ready because, um, the inside of my knee wouldn't be ready, but I did end up um, getting it uh, toward the end of the year. Felt pretty good, and actually paid for my own way to go to instructional league, and then went and played uh, winter ball in Venezuela. How was playing ball in Venezuela? Is that like, is that like over here? Do they have different rules? Same rules? What What's different over there than over here? Oh, the showers are cold. <laughs> no, I love playing in Venezuela. I played three winters in Venezuela. I love the people. I mean, it's warm weather, tropical weather. You know, our hotel is overlooking the ocean. And, mm. 
you know, um, I had a great time playing there. And the baseball was really good. At that time, there was a, a lot of native Venezuelan guys in the big leagues who were studs. Galarraga, Biscale, um, Maglio Ordonez, um, Ugeth Urbina. So many guys that were in the big leagues would go home and play uh, in the winter in their home country. So in 96, you are released by the Rangers on June 5th. And that same day, you get picked up by the Red Sox. You spent a couple years with the Red Sox. What do you remember about your time in the Red Sox? And how different of experience would you say it was to your first cup of coffee with the Rangers? Um, oh, I love playing in Boston. It was a, just a different animal. It was a, you know, it's such a storied franchise, and and you know, playing the same stadium as that Babe Ruth and Ted Williams played, same locker room, and I love. I mean, I was there for four years and and had some great teammates, Hall of Famers. That uh, man, my time there was was the best time of my career for sure. Did you have any cup of coffee in the playoffs? Did you ever get to go there at all? No, the one year I was uh, that we made the playoffs that I was there, I got injured during the season, had to have surgery, and uh, was actually ready to play, but um, kind of a disagreement with the general manager, and uh, he ended up not putting me on the playoff roster, the only chance I had. Now, tell me about this, because uh, this was towards the end of your career, I'm, I'm pretty much. You became a bench player. Uh, for uh, once the Red Sox signed Jose Offerman. So did you know that was kind of towards the it, that was going to be it for your career pretty much when they when you were told you were going to be a bench player? No, and I wasn't told. I was I missed a year before with a knee injury, my second ACL, mm-hmm. and uh, they signed Offerman in the offseason. So when I came back um, the next year, I was still under contract, so I knew – they were going to have to try and get something out of me. And uh, Jimmy Williams, the manager, really liked liked me and liked me in the lineup and asked me if I could play different positions. And I, that's when uh, I started moving all over the field. I was Before that, I was primarily a second baseman, but I ended up playing everywhere but pitcher and catcher for the Red Sox that year. Now, tell me about this trade after you leave the Red Sox, July 27, 2000. You were traded to the Rockies, but I don't remember any of these names. Were these guys even big names? Like, it, was, it seemed like a big deal. It was you. Uh, it looked like it was um, you and a couple others in exchange for, looks like, Rolando Royal, Rick Crushor, and Mike Lansing. I've, I've never even heard of any of those guys. Well, I mean, that that trade is, like, out of the blue, like... I kind of do remember, like, that year, that year when it happened, but I was like, who are these players? I never even heard of these players. Like, did you kind of knew, like, it kind of, like, I don't know. Take us through that when you found out you were getting traded for uh, pretty much nobodies. I don't know them. Well, uh, actually, Mike Lansing was a starting second baseman for the Rockies. Pretty good player. And Arroyo was a number one or number two starter for the Rockies, uh, Cuban guy that was he was really good actually. Um, Brian Rose 
was a young upcoming guy with the Red Sox. John Watson was uh, like a starter, middle reliever guy, and um, the Crochure guy. He was, a, I believe, a relief pitcher as well. And the reason the reason I was included was because I ripped the general manager in. Yeah, you were saying that. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, he wanted me out of town, so he. Uh, he made that trade, and I'm pretty sure the manager didn't want me traded. But uh, he sent you to yeah. like one of the worst teams in baseball at that time. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I got to—I was fortunate to get to go play with Todd Helton and Larry Walker and Jeff Cirillo and Jeffrey Hammond. So we had some—we had some guys that could really hit over there, but we weren't really in contention. Yeah, how I gotta ask you, how is it? How is it hitting in Coolers Field? Because they always say, I always hear. The elevation is different on the ball or the humidor or whatever they call it up there. It's much difficult to hit because it's uh, pitcher's hell, basically. So how is it hitting there at Cooler's Field? Well, it's definitely an advantage. Um, you know, for me, it was not so much that the ball carried farther because I wasn't a power hitter. It was more that the outfield was so big that uh, there's a lot of holes out there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the ball doesn't spin in course, you know, it's a mile high. It doesn't spin like it does at sea level. So the breaking balls aren't as tough. Um, and he, I mean, you see the numbers over the years that was before the humidor. So we didn't have the humidor. I really can't tell you exactly what having the humidor has done, but right. uh, I know it seems like a lot of Rockies guys still hit pretty well. So seems like it <laughs> they don't seem to have a problem <laughs> so then on uh december 11th of 2000 you sign a free agent deal with the blue jays you play at the sky dome and all that uh what was playing in a sky dome was that different compared to any other stadium you played in i mean because it's pretty much a dome unless they keep it open i don't i don't i don't know if at that time it, they had an open or retractable dome or whatever but how is it different compared to playing outside? Well, we played outside when it was nice weather outside, but Canada gets pretty cold, so it was nice having that dome on the cold days. But, I mean, it was a great place to play, great place to hit, great city. Um, we weren't very competitive. We had, you know, once again, we had a great offensive team and not much pitching. Um, but we were in first place after like two months of the season. This kind of fizzled out. But, uh, I mean, I enjoyed the year that I was there. I made a lot of good friends. Yeah, and you also made history. I'm seeing August 17, 2001, you become the second Blue Jay ever to hit for the cycle. Uh, did you know Did you know that when you uh, actually hit for the cycle that year? Did no, you know, I had no idea. Well, they, idea? Showed it on the, they showed it on the scoreboard after I did it, but uh, going up to it. I had no idea. You know who was the first one? Oh, yeah, Kelly Gruber. He was there that day. He came on the field. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's quite an accomplishment. And uh, so that year you make your final at bat, September 20th of 01, you get – you're a pinch hitter for Darren Fletcher in the eighth inning of a 12-6 loss. What do you remember about your last at bat? Nothing. <laughs> I really don't. 
I really don't. Did that you was, know it uh, was going to be your last at bat? Did you know you were retiring after that? No, I didn't want to. I uh, I played one more year after that in the Meyer leagues, but uh, you never, I think, want it to end. You know, I could see that my body was kind of wearing out on me, and um, you know, I tried to. I played the next year in the Meyer leagues in AAA the whole year and did pretty well, but never got called back up again. So, do you happen to have that one besides your first home run? Do you have that welcome to the big league moment in any of the teams you played for? Um, what do you mean? I, I don't understand your question. Like what? Like when you knew you actually made it? Like you actually made it to the big leagues? Like you're actually there? What's that one moment besides your first home run ball? Oh, uh, when I was playing for the Rangers, I believe in 1994, uh, we came back from a road trip and. I was feeling pretty confident, you know, I was, I was hitting like 327 or something like that, and, you know, really feeling good. And we took the field and, um, and they played this song by Thin Lizzy, the boys are back in town. And I, I'll never forget it. And I was like, ran it on the field. I was like, I'm freaking starting second baseman for the Texas Rangers in the big leagues hitting rake and hitting like 330. And, uh, you know, and they played this song, the boys are back in town and I got chills. I was like, man, this is, I've actually, this is really happening. Did you ever have a chance to make it to an all-star or ever invited to one? Or a home no, um, in, in 94, um, around the all-star break, we played the Yankees and Buck Showalter was manager of the Yankees. And he told me during batting practice by the cage, he goes, I just want you to know that I considered you for the all-star team. He goes, but because I had started the year in triple a because of my injury from the year before Mm -hmm. I didn't, didn't have that many at bats, Mm -hmm. even though I was hitting really well. Um, you know, my numbers, I probably had half as many at bats as the other guys by that point in the season. Um, but the fact, just the fact that he told me that he considered me for that was, you know, it was pretty cool. What about home run derby? Were you ever considered for any of those? Oh no, no! But but um, when they had the All Star Game in uh, Fenway Park, and I, I think it was '98, um, they talked about having two non-home run hitters have a little contest. And they talked about me and Darren Bragg, which he had a lot more power than I did. But they talked about us uh, having a little home run derby before the actual home run derby. But they didn't end up following through on that. <laughs> That would have been something to see uh, you guys go uh, go at it, huh? To see who would hit the home run first. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I would have the advantage based on Fenway Park being a right-handed hitter. That's true. Yeah, because right field is so much further than left field. Yeah, but Braggy, Braggy was a little bit. We're about the same height, but he's more of a stocky guy, stronger, and he had more power. But uh, you know, I could hit some home runs in BP and Fenway when I had my. My favorite batting practice pitcher, Mo Maloney, throwing me lefty. I can hit some homers in BP. So, who did you learn from the most while you uh, you you were called up with the Rangers, and you were young? Who would you say was your uh, on that team that helped you along the way to get you to where you to help you throughout later on in your career? Uh, quite a few guys, I would say. Gino Petrolli was very instrumental. 
um, um, Jeff Huson helped me very much. Um, but just all the guys, all the older guys just kind of, you know, just kind of took you under their wing and, and, and taught you stuff. And, um, you know, Will Clark helped me a lot. Ruben Sierra, you know, those guys are just kind of, and that's really the way it's supposed to be. You know, these guys are the veteran guys and they're going to, you know, they're going to teach us and show us the ropes and teach us how to be a professional because mm. how are we supposed to know? We just got there. Right. And so when you have guys that you respect teaching you and telling you things to do and how to carry yourself and what to do and what not to do, I mean, you're a fool not to listen. Right. And towards the end of your career, who did you teach along the way? Did you help anybody out? Yeah, I believe I did. Um, uh, a lot of guys in Toronto, uh, Bob File, Chris Woodward, uh, Louis Lopez, Cesar Isturis, Felipe Lopez, um, Brian Simmons, a lot of the young guys that, uh, you know, were, were position players and I was the, like the veteran guy and I, I, I called them my regulators and I would I'd like, all right, regulators, you ready to go out? And I just kind of took them out of the way on my wing and kind of taught them how, what to do, you know, off the field as well. And, and Ben, Ben Petrick in, in uh, Colorado was uh, another guy and, and Adam Melhus just, uh, you know, I treated those guys with respect, but it, you know, that I wanted them to understand that, you know, they had to, they had to pay their dues and they had to fall in line and if they did, they would be accepted by the other veteran players. And um, I think it worked out pretty well. So I got to ask you now, with Joe Joe West retiring, I have to bring this up. Did you have any history with Joe West? Did he ever throw you out of a game? Did you ever argue with him? What, uh, what was he like with you as, a, as an umpire? Yeah, I don't really remember having any disagreements with Joe West. Honestly, I had a lot of disagreements with other umpires, but, uh, you know, if they had a good strike zone and they called, you know, they called you out when you're out and safe when you're safe, I didn't really have much of an issue. But there were a few, but I really don't recall one time where I had a problem with Joe West. So do you, do you recall a game and who was the umpire that you got thrown out? I don't know that I ever was thrown out of a game. <clears throat> I did have I have really one funny, uh, really funny story about an umpire. Go ahead, share um, it. <laughs> Jim Mc, Jim McKeon was the home plate umpire one day when we're playing the Angels in Fenway Park, and um, there's a pitcher named Sean Bosky pitching. He was pretty good. He had good stuff, good control, mm-hmm. and uh, he throws a pitch outside that I thought was outside off the plate. And he called it a strike, and I didn't say much. And then he threw another pitch that was inside that I also thought was off the plate, and he called that a strike. And I'm like, damn, this guy's got a huge strike zone. I turned around, and I said, I said, you can't give him inside and outside. He's not Cy Young. He goes, well, you're not Babe Ruth either. <laughs> and I started laughing, and I was just kind of looked at him. I thought that was a great, great line, and – uh I don't even remember what happened the rest of the at-bat, but from then on, every time he was behind the plate, they would walk through the tunnel of our dugout, 
and uh, and we'd see him standing in the dugout, and I'd go, "Hey, Jim Rice, Jim Rice, our hitting coach." I was like, "Look who's umpiring, Jim McKeon," and Jim Rice would go, "Hey, Jim, I got Babe Ruth down here," <laughs> and he actually said that he wrote Babe Ruth on his scorecard um, whenever I was in the lineup. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so, like you said, you got to play with the who's who of Hall of Famers, soon to be Hall of Famers. Um, it did. Did you have a chance to? Uh, I must say, hold on, hold on. Sorry, lost my train of thought. Sorry. Never mind. Scratch that question. Scratch that question. So now, well, once I once my train of thought comes back, well, we get to that. But I want to ask you now: the savior game. What is that about, and what do you want to get off your chest on that about? Well, save the game is uh, a national movement that I'm part of with um, Kevin Gallagher and Pat Yeagan. And we are trying to draw attention um, to people um, that change has to happen in the game, that we have to get back to playing the game the way we used to play it, where it was more entertaining, like I talked about earlier, more action and things like that. And because we're worried that the, the fan base is dwindling and that people are going to go away and not come back and, and – Major League Baseball is going to have a huge problem about 10 to 15 years when they're losing their customer base and TV revenue is not going to be there and, and attendance is not going to be there. So we are trying to get a million or more uh, digital signatures to bring it to, you know, we don't, we're not trying to fight with Major League Baseball. We want to partner with them and try to talk to them about what needs to be done to, to get the fans more engaged in the game. And, um, you know, I think we're on to something. I think that uh, there are real issues in the game. We have a lot of a lot of facts to prove. That, you know, the attendance is going down and TV revenue, viewership is going down. And it's just there's so many other options for people to watch now. Mm-hmm. You know, with Netflix and Amazon and things. It's like, you know, watch a boring baseball game where nothing happens or, you know, three episodes of Ozark. Right. You know, <laughs> Or Yellowstone or something. Yeah. And so I think that especially kids have so many other options, and the kids are the ones that they're going to be the baseball fans that are going to be buying tickets in 10 to 15 years. And if they're not interested, then who's going to be buying the tickets? The average age, average age of a fan is 57 years old. Well, in about 15 to 20 years, all those people are going to be gone, and who's going to be the fans? Very true. Yeah, right. So do you know do you know how far you've gone along in it so far? How many have signed it? Do you have? No, I don't yet? know yet. It just kind of got started. We got a publicist um, that's helping us, and then we've got all kinds of podcasts and radio shows set up. So uh, you know, we'll see what happens. There you go. And now tell us about what you're doing nowadays too. Your other job that you want to talk about as well. What's that about? Yeah. Well, I met a guy uh, about a year ago named Paulo de Prima, Italian guy who has a, a company in Texas um, called Rotor Systems USA. He makes a rotor. He's making batting tees. He has also a bat rack 
and through my social media stuff, he saw me and brought me in and wanted me to help him promote his products. We've become friends. He's a great guy. And it's just uh, something I'm very excited about. Our batting tea is unbelievable. It's it's made out of a composite material, the same material made it they use in Mercedes Benz and and um, BMW engines. It's very strong, very difficult to break, and the teas are made in a factory in Italy by Paulo's dad, who's eighty four years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we're, we're, I've seen the videos of the factory and how many of these things are making, and we're going to ship them over here to the United States and. And I think it's going to be uh, – we have a chance to make a huge impact in the baseball um, hitting tool industry. I hope so. Sounds like a good plan. I hope you do. So now I also got to get to – as a fellow podcaster, I know you said you don't do it anymore, which sucks because I, I really enjoy your listening to your podcast. The Shigon Nation, tell everybody about that. Uh and and actually, from what I see from your Twitter as well, it's like hitting as well, hitting practices as well. You do that as well. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I, I the Shigun Nation started. I, I made a video about two years ago that uh, of something I saw on social media. I'm on a group text with some scout friends of mine, and we kind of laugh at some of the stuff we see, the training stuff being taught to kids. And so I made a video imitating one of these things I saw and, um, man, I got a lot of backlash from people and some very hateful stuff saying mean stuff about my kids and me and calling me names. And I was like, who are these people? You know, I, I didn't really understand what was going on on this mm-hmm. social media as far as hitting the hitting Twitter. stuff. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So, um, all I did was piss me off. And so I had to make another video and that one had over a hundred thousand views and then it's kind of gone crazy since then my one of my buddies goes you should hashtag she gone well let me backtrack so at the end of my second video i hit the ball and i said she gone and i had i really just goofing around and didn't think anything of it he goes you should hashtag she gone i was like okay great idea i was like what does that mean i don't know what that means to hashtag something so i did it and uh you know, since then, I've probably made 200 videos. I made two more today, actually. Three today. Hey, uh, and it's finally warm enough here in Texas to go outside. And I made three videos today. And, uh, you know, it's basically to – I'm trying to inform parents that some of these people they're taking their kids to aren't qualified instructors and that a lot of the, a lot of the drills and things that they're – doing in their hour-long lesson are not going to help their kids be better baseball players and and, um, it's really grown when i first my first video i was i think i had 600 followers on twitter and i was not active on twitter whatsoever no i know you weren't for the longest time there that's like when we first connected i think you were first starting out with it or something yeah i I had a twitter account since like 2012 i think but i never used it and a friend of mine billy martin jr um you should get on Twitter. I was like, why? I don't want to do that. And he's, I barely did any social media. And uh, I was like, all right, check it out. And then when I did those videos and put them on Twitter and it went crazy, I'm like, oh my goodness. And then now I've got like over 14,000 followers on Twitter and I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And 
I don't know, man. It's crazy. I'm too old to be on all the social media stuff. But I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to help I know parents. And That's the whole point. You're trying because to I think them. I think they're hurting kids' development and teaching kids to hit home runs when they're not capable, and they're just gonna have a lot of failure, and they're not gonna want to play because it's no fun to to fail all the time. So, yeah, because I remember when when you first when we I think when we first connected. Yeah, you only had like a couple videos on there. And is that what also gave you the inspiration for the podcast as well? Or who told you to start the podcast? Yeah, my friend uh, John Moore, who had the Rangers Nation podcast, I'd been on his show. And he goes, man, you should start a podcast. I'll help you. And I was like, all right. I mean, I think this is during COVID. and They didn't have a lot of stuff to do, you know. And so I was like, yeah, I'll start a podcast. I know I have a lot of friends in the game. And I could get some pretty cool guys on there. Which you did. Uh, and uh, man, it was fun. Just it was like so much work trying to get somebody, and yes. and and you know our schedules aligned with John's schedule and my schedule and his schedule. And um, I don't know. I might get back to doing it, um, but it just seemed like it was taking up so much of my time, um, and I really did enjoy it. But it's a lot of work doing a podcast. It, no, you're right. It is, as I've told you. Yeah, it really is. So after your playing career, you are you begin your work as an agent. You represent players like Darren Oliver, who's your friend, and Ian Kinsler, who also I think will be a Hall of Famer down the line. Just like Darren Oliver, I think he will be too eventually. Uh, how'd you want to get into that instead of being like a scout or, or whatnot or an announcer or a coach? How'd that come about, that you just wanted to be an agent? I didn't want to be. I just had the opportunity to present itself, and I, I didn't uh, I didn't want to leave. I'd been gone for 15 years in a row, and I, I didn't want to leave and ride buses and scout, opportunity to scout. And uh, I asked one of the guys who asked me, Thad Levine is the GM right now of the Twins. He was supposed to GM of the Rangers seat. Yeah, or maybe the Rockies at the time, and asked me if I would wanted to be a scout. And I said, I don't know, maybe. I was like, how many days a week am I going to have to be at a baseball field? And he goes, probably six. And I said, no chance. No chance. I'm not doing that. I just, I've been gone for 15 years. I want to see my kids grow up. Mm-hmm. I want to coach their teams, um, you know, and be around. And so I just, and then the opportunity came up for me to be an agent with a friend. And we kind of started from scratch and, you know, for 20 years. I don't really know how much longer I'll do it. I don't really enjoy it as much as I used to going out and chasing players um, and having to deal with parents that think their kids are better than they are. Mm. And so it's very cutthroat and I'm, I'm a pretty honest guy. And I mean, I'm a very honest guy and, I'm not the type of guy to go out and steal other people's players, which what happens a lot in this industry. Oh yeah, I true, I truly believe that. Do you have any? Do you have any right now that are currently playing? Do you have any signed to your agency? Yeah, but I, I really want to talk about it. I don't want to name names and <laughs> give no, people. No, I, I don't want to know names. I just want to know like how. Yeah, know. yeah, I have some players, but I don't want people to target my guys because they don't like me because that's what they do. <laughs> It's no, pretty it's sad. Yeah. It's, cut, it's a cutthroat business. Oh, yeah. They'll act like they're your friend, and then they'll walk back to their hotel room and call your client's room. I mean, it's pretty bad. 
It is. It is. Uh, so now I got to ask you about your uh, teams that you played for. Uh, the Rangers, what do they need to do, your first team, the Rangers? I know they're in total rebuild. What does it need for them to get back into the playoffs? Well, I think they've already made some pretty big moves with Corey Seager and uh, Marcus Simeon. So I think offense is not going to be a problem. I think we just have to get some more pitching mm -hmm. and let some of the younger players develop. They're a pretty young team. Okay, and now your second team, which is the Red Sox, what do they need to do to get over that hump to get back to the World Series and win it? Because they were close last year, but the Astros just took them down in the yeah. ALCS. Yeah, starting pitching was a problem for the Red Sox, I believe. Um, and I don't really follow them as closely um, as I do the Rangers because they live here. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, starting pitching... Maybe a little more offense. Um, I think that's probably <laughs> you could say that about every team. You know, that didn't make it. They they need better pitching, right. more offense, and better defense. Wow. I guess that that leads me to my next team too that you play for the Toronto Blue Jays. Obviously, they got the hitting. It's just what they got to do the pitching now. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, they have some some of the best young players in the game, but they need pitching. The Suns, you got. Vlad Jr., Bochette, uh, Biggio. I mean, mm -hmm. they're the only roster that I can think of that has uh, former players' kids on them. All, like, at least five or six. I think Conine's kid is somewhat in the organization, too, with them still. So, and he'll mm -hmm. be on his way up. So, that, you got the talent. What can they do with it? Yeah, yeah. Got to get a couple starting pitchers, man. Maybe a good couple bullpen guys. And I mean, it's... It was great for baseball when the Blue Jays were a powerhouse, man. It was in those early '90s. Yeah, they had around four million fans. Yeah, uh, filled up that stadium, filled up the Sky Dome. You don't even well, well, actually, you can see that. You still sort of see that. I mean, when they first came up, they were making the playoffs here and there. You still see it filled up, but not. It wasn't as much as what it was in the '90s when they were no, making the sure. World Series. So now, I now your other team, the Rockies, they're in total rebuild mode. What are they going to do with Story? Are they going to keep him, trade him? What are they going to do? Because he's the only one, only piece left, main piece that they have not shipped out yet. Yeah, I think he's. I mean, is he not a free? I think he's a free agent. I don't think they have the rights over him anymore. Oh, really? He's, so he's now a free agent. He's going to sign. I mean, who knows? He's, he's one of the top shortstops in the game, so somebody's going to sign. I know the Yankees were talking about him, but I think they're maybe wanting him to change positions, which I think is crazy. He's he's one of the top short yeah. defensive shortstops in why baseball. Change? Yeah. If why he didn't want to change positions, I don't blame him. Yeah, why change? Exactly. But what do – what is it pitching, hitting? What uh, – what because I don't know what it is with the Rockies. They haven't been relevant since – because, I mean, that, I know that division's tough because you got my Padres, you got the Giants who were surprised last year, and then, of course, you got the Dodgers who spend for everybody, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and, of course, the Diamondbacks, and I am not going to go there with them. They're they're horrible. But I know, what, what, do they, what do they honestly have to do? I mean, 
What do they have to do? Draft better? What? I don't get it. What is it with them that they got to do to get there? Uh, great. That's the million dollar question, man. They <laughs> trade Arenado, a guy like that, away, and then, um, and he was pretty disgruntled when he left there. So yeah, I don't, he, he didn't want to go. They're not. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if they, they lose, which at one point was prob possibly the best left side of the infield in baseball. Yeah. Now they're not going to have either one of those guys. So somebody's not doing something right. No, no, I agree with you. They can't no. afford. They can't afford to spend like a lot of these other teams. No, no, they can't. So now I got to ask you about the Hall of Fame. What is your take on? I know you guys didn't test for steroids back then. Do you think the guys that have come clean about doing steroids and were accused of it? Do you think? They should be allowed in the Hall of Fame. Do you feel that it was right that they didn't get enough votes? How do you feel as a former player? Yeah, I don't think uh, they deserve to be in. I mean, if they're going to let them in, there should be a, a separate wing or an asterisk. asterisk. Um, you know, a guy like me, <clears throat> we talked about steroids earlier, that, you know, I was undersized already. Yeah, and 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 I didn't use steroids, and I had to compete against guys who were bigger and stronger to begin with, and on steroids. So yeah. it was it wasn't a fair playing field, and um, you know the way I look at it is once you decide to do that, you're choosing um, fame and and fortune. Okay, that was your choice. You decided to cheat the game and cheat the competition. And a lot of you benefited in a big way financially and you stardom and that's what you got. And when you did that, unfortunately, you forfeited your opportunity to go in the Hall of Fame. And what about uh, the one who probably won't get in until he's dead, Pete Rose? Do you think that was fair that he's not being allowed in? No, I don't. I don't. I think Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame. And if you want to if you want to put some side note that this guy was you know, caught cheating on baseball or whatever. And, you know, that way we can get Shoeless Joe Jackson in there too. Um, you know, the Hall of Fame is a museum. I understand people think, that, you know, it's for the best players to ever play this game, and I agree to a certain extent. Okay, and I don't think you can put Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame next to Hank Aaron. No, I agree with you on that. Really because they didn't do the things that he did to get there. Now, if you want to put him in a separate wing, I agree. And explain it all. This is the steroid ring, wing, or whatever. Um, fine, but I just don't think. I think it's going to diminish the the value of the Hall of Fame um, if we just start letting everybody in. I mean, and then you know, eventually they're going to. If they let A Rod in, then I'm out. <laughs> you know, very true. Very true. Got a billion dollars playing baseball and got caught cheating on. You know, two numerous, times, numerous times, yeah. Over two years for suspensions, and we're gonna we're gonna put this guy in the Hall of Fame too. Uh, I hate to say it, but I think he will. With everything, he's back in the God's graces of baseball. Now he's he's everywhere. He's like now in there now the ambassador, basically. It feels like he's everywhere. That's, a, that's an embarrassment too. Yeah, I think that's an embarrassment. That here's a guy who nobody in the game has ever been suspended from more than him for cheating and yet he's on a major network doing baseball games 
I know that's I, I couldn't agree with you more. I I never liked the dude, and he shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. I agree. No matter how much you're in God graces, you apologize. Whatever, you still cheated the game. You should not be on the network, but whatever. That's on them. They chose that route, but that's them. <laughs> Just to make money, I guess. Right? What can you say? Uh, now what about Big Poppy? He got in. Uh. I think that was a I think first first time on the ballot. I think he, he that was well deserved. Uh, he unanimous. Uh, I know he was uh, accused of at one point in time of doing it, but I don't think he ever did it. But he I I think he it was fair that he got in. Uh, did you like him getting in? Yes, I did. I think and he's definitely a Hall of Fame player, and um, the circumstances around his positive test were were unusual. Exactly. Um, That's what I'm saying, And who knows for sure really what happened, but uh, what I heard was, or what from my understanding is, Major League Baseball, um, okay, they tested everybody, 120-something people tested positive. Mm -hmm. Um, So they knew that they had enough people that they didn't have to do any extra testing well poppy supposedly was one of the players that was positive mm-hmm. but there were some questions about his positive test was it from a, a tainted supplement from a store or, you know gnc or something like that and so because they already had their numbers they didn't need to go back and spend more money and find out exactly what he tested positive for because it was understood that these results were never going to be made public. That was the only way the players agreed to do the test. Yep. Test you, but the results will never be made public. So then years later, when the Mitchell report um, comes out and these results are made public, how can you then go back and say, Oh wait, you tested positive. You know, that's like, that's BS. It's not supposed to be made. It, it didn't exist. Because it's not supposed to be made public, and that was the that was the understanding, and they breached that, and then now all of a sudden he's tainted for the rest of his life. We don't even know the facts. Right now, do you agree with like I do that when that whole thing was going on, the whole Balco, the whole, whole Mitchell report scandal, when that went to Congress, do you think that hurt the game? And was embarrassment to the game as much as I do since you played it? Like, do you think that was an embarrassment and all that to the game? It made it, like, made people want to turn it off at that point which, in time? Which perfect game are you talking about? The, no, when the, when the whole Balco scandal and the whole Mitchell Report scandal went to Congress. Do you think, yeah. Yeah, do you think that was an embarrassment to the game when that, when that happened and made people turn off? Turn off the viewership. Yeah, I mean, all those. I mean, baseball's always has some scandal going on. Seems like, you know, I mean, last year we had the, you know, the sticky stuff with the pitchers and this. It's like Garrett Cole looked like a deer in the headlights when they asked him if he ever used it. It's like, no, I didn't use it, but oh, but all of a sudden your fastball's not doing what it did and your breaking ball's not doing what it did. It's like, Okay, well, yeah, but I, I mean, the Balco thing, it, I think it was good that it came out because everybody knew, looking at some of these players, that something wasn't right. 
You know, you don't put on 30 pounds of muscle when you're 40 years old playing baseball. You can kind of thank Jose Canseco for that because he was the one who threw everybody out on the bus that he played with. Yeah, and he did. I, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I, I love Jose. He's one of the best teammates I ever had. And if you look at the situation, okay, Jose was one of the first guys everybody thought about doing steroids, right? Mm-hmm. Then Mark McGuire. Yep. Okay. And now all of a sudden, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire are in this home run chase. Chase. And they're heroes. And both of them look like freaks, right? Their veins are popping out of their arms, right? And they're being glorified by everybody in baseball. Mm -hmm. And everybody knew they were on steroids. But Jose got blackballed from the game for using steroids. So how is that right? Yeah, I know. know? I know. And so so he's, you know, and he had a lot of teammates over the years that he knew did steroids, probably did them with him. Right. And all those guys were getting off scot free, yet Jose's getting thrown under the bus. So you kind of, you probably, you know, maybe the way he went about it wasn't exactly right. But I mean, if you put yourself in his shoes and here he is, dude was a superstar. Dude was like, you know, the best player in the world at one point. Just like, I don't blame that one pitcher. Who was that pitcher? I can't even name that. Uh, I think he's still current. That pitch for the Astros, who flat out came out what they did, what they cheated on in twenty eighteen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't blame him either. But I mean, you're still a current player. I mean, do you want to be mistrusted in the locker room wherever you go now? I mean, yeah, that was a little bit different scenario in my opinion because. Uh, when he was on that team, he benefited from that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he benefited from it. Then he left and then kind of threw him under the bus on his way out. You know what I mean? And so it's like, you know, I mean, that was a bad situation all around. A.J. Hinch didn't handle it right. No. He should have done more. I think he was just uh, got caught up in the moments. Like, why are we going to change if we're doing it so well? You know, it's like – here we are kicking everybody's butt and now all of a sudden we have to fess up that we're doing something wrong and change it. And I think he had some people in that, in his dugout, Joey, I mean, uh, Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran that probably had more say within the players than he did. Exactly. Yeah. Cause they were the ones that came out. Mo- they were more. the ringleaders. They were the yeah, ones. The ringleaders. Yeah. And not Hinch, but Hinch knew about it. So he should have stopped it. He should have stopped it if he knew about it. Oh, I'm sure he's going to regret that till the day he dies. But, um, you know, it's tough. If you look at the situation, and I don't approve what they did at all, I think that's terrible. Um, that he got caught up at the moment and didn't. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're having so much success, it's hard to say, okay, we're doing too well. Let's go back and not do this anymore. When they think nobody knows about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So nobody probably would have ever known if that one pitcher didn't come out. Now, who happened happened to be on their team and didn't say anything while he was playing? Now, do you think, like me too, that there's still something of that nature that will come out eventually, but is kind of under wraps now that some team is doing what they did that they got caught for? You still think that's going on in the game today? Yeah, I, I think it probably is. 
but maybe they're just smarter about it. But we used to try and steal signs from the field. Well, that's you know? fair. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't I have think no problem. Yeah, I have no issue with that. That's fair. If the pitcher is that dumb enough to allow the person at second, the runner, say you were at second, runner on second, and if that pitcher is dumb enough to give away his sign, I'm and the catchers too. I mean, come on, then that's fair game. But yeah. technology, camera, whatever there is nowadays in the game, that's why I hate the when the players use what is it the tablets in the dugout. I don't think that's fair. No, I think it's stupid too. That's like they're not even watching the game. No, they're you know, not. They're not watching the pitcher. They're not watching anything on the field. It's just like come in the dugout, and all they care about was what's on this tablet, what they did their last at bat, what this pitcher they're going to face throws. It's like, come on, man. This is like, you know, there's too much technology in the game. Exactly, and that's what led to all this cheating. Yep, that's what led to yep. all the Astros, all you know, the Red Sox, and whoever else was involved in it to do this is. That right there, the technology. So if Manfred would get off his stupid ass and do that and get rid of all the technology, which I don't think he will, I don't think he will, that'll also help with that. With, that'll definitely help with not to cheating, won't you think? Getting rid of all that stupid technology in a dugout? Yeah, for sure. They'll find another way. But True, true. I, I just think it's terrible that five guys were on the bench looking at their iPads when the game's going on on the field. When you did it the old school way by just looking at what the pitcher threw. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you ask your teammate, what does this guy have? <laughs> yeah. You know, but if I wanted to go inside after I saw one of them, after I had an at bat and I wonder if the umpire made a bad, you know, a bad call, I would go up upstairs and tell Billy Broadbent, our video guy from the Red Sox, I want to see that at bat and he would have to pull out the VCR tape and rewind it and show me and then rewind it again. It wasn't like, you know, like they have today. So it was like, and I never forget Billy. I went up there one time. I was so mad and I, I left the dugout, ran to the duck, to the, through the tunnel, through the clubhouse and the, through the weight room to the very back of the weight room where they had like three or four TVs mm-hmm. And VCRs, and and I was good buddies with Billy, and I said, Billy, what was that pitch? That pitch wasn't a freaking strike, and this and that. And, and he goes, he, my nickname was Frito, so he's like, I don't know, Frito. It looks pretty close. And I said, listen here, Billy. I don't give a crap if you think it's a strike or not. If I come up here and ask you if it's a ball or strike, and I want it to be a ball. You better freaking say it's a ball. You understand me? He goes, yeah, I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> we joked about that all the time. You know, I was, I was messing with him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you get caught up in the moment like that, you feel like you got screwed over. You don't want your video guy saying, oh, no, that was a good pitch. You, you messed up. So, Especially when I might have one or two more at-bats in that game, you know. So I got at least two or three more questions before we wrap up. The first one is, we talked a little about the Hall of Fame. Is there any player that you played for and against that has not made it in the Hall of Fame yet that should be in the Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah, it's quite a few, I think. 
Fred McGriff should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, let me think. Who else? Um, hmm. Right, Gary Sheffield. Mm-hmm. I agree um, with that one. I don't know if he has a positive test or not, but I know he's rumors about. He had rumors, yeah. He did. Um, Todd Helton. He had rumors too, but I don't think he did it. Helton? No way. No, no he way. did at one point in time. He did, but I don't think he ever did it. No, I don't either. He was my teammate, and I love that guy. He, yeah. I don't think he did it. Um, if you'd have seen him, you wouldn't have. Right. If you seen his body, he was in good shape, but oh, he wasn't. Yeah, I saw him. Yeah, I saw him. He I wasn't Jack. Career. He was one of my favorite players, so yeah, he didn't do it. Yeah, he wasn't bulging out of his uniform like some of the guys. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's, I know there's a lot of other ones I can't think right now. What about Don Mattingly? I don't know. I haven't looked at his overall numbers. I know he was a great player. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if, probably if I saw a Hall of Fame ballot, Andrew Jones, I think, is a Hall yeah. of Famer. Yeah, he should be, yeah. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten in yet either. Dale Murphy? Yeah. Yeah. I think even, well, yeah, Chipper Jones. I don't think he's in either, too. You, you played oh, he's in. Is he in? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think they voted him in yet. I didn't I didn't think so. Okay. Yeah, he's def- he's definitely in. Okay. Uh, but I know there's other ones um, that might get in on the veterans committee or something like that. But yeah, what about second baseman now? Your position? Oh, Carlos Delgado, by the way. Oh, there, yeah, there you go. Can't forget about Vernon Wells. Vernon Wells as well. Yeah, Vernon doesn't have Hall of Fame numbers, but Delgado's got like. 449 home runs or something. Yeah, yep, yep. I I think Canseco is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think he ever will be, though, because of this whole steroid thing. He won't be. Well, if they start letting all these other steroid dudes in, they better let him in. True, they should. They should. I agree with you on that. He's got the numbers. Do you know any about your position, second base, if any should go in? Um, I don't know. I don't know why Jeff Kent's not in. Um, he definitely has Hall of Fame numbers. I don't know if he's a rumors about steroids or he was just a jerk to everybody, which, which he was. Um, I heard that. You're not talking about oh, Lou, Whit- Lou Whitaker? Oh, yep, yep, okay. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, I think that's probably it off the top of my head for second base. Now, my second question is... You you just briefly said it, Frito. What what made uh, you said your you got that na- nickname? What made them decide to give you that nickname? How did that come about? Was it because of your name? How how did that? Yeah, nickname? Fry and my my I played winter ball, so my one of my teammates, Mike Stanley, called me Fried in Spanish is Frito, and that was it. My before that, my nickname was Fry Daddy. So some of my friends call me Frito and some call me Fry Daddy. Nobody calls me Jeff. <laughs> okay, Frito. There you go. That's it. Uh, so now my final question to you is before we get off the air here is I ask this to everybody. If you were, if you were a coach, what would you tell the young kids today coaching that want to get into the majors and the second part is define your career in one word. 
can I do that part first? Yes. Um, my career, wow. My career in one word was, uh, huh. maybe I'll come back to that. I can't think of the one word right now. But teaching uh, kids, I would just say uh, anything is possible if you're willing to put in the, the work. And um, don't let people tell you you can't do anything, that you can't accomplish something. If you set your heart and mind to it and outwork everybody, that anything is possible. Um, and my one word for my career would probably be uh, can I say two? There you go. You can say, yeah, you can say two. No, you actually, two. three words. I don't know if I can come up with one word. Okay, come be three words. There you go. Beating, beating the odds. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, you, know? you are because not many ball players are your size and, and made it, especially in that era. <clears throat> yeah, I was, uh, I was, oh, I know, I know what my word is. I found out my oh, word. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Share it. Determined. There you go. I was determined to prove everybody wrong who said I couldn't do it. There you go. And I, I got to ask you, though, before I go, did you, did you get to collect your first home run ball that you hit in your first hit? Did you get to keep those? I had my first hit. I don't know that I have my first home run. Um, I don't think I did. Um, you know, those fans aren't all, always willing to give those balls up. No, I mean, look at what happened with Albert Pujols. They were lucky that fan was willing to negotiate. Remember that? His, like, thing yeah. was... Well, was that it? ball's a little bit more valuable than the one I hit. What was it? Can't. What was it, like, what was it, like, his 3,000th hit or something? Five? I don't remember. What? It might have been his, like, 600th home run or something. I Yeah, something like that, yeah. And, and I think he was offered, the fan was offered uh, jerseys and season tickets, and I think he took it or whatever, and, oh, yeah, and money, too. Of course, yeah, and money, and he ended up giving it to him. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, fans. Yeah, fans. Uh, when it comes to stuff like that, they want the. <laughs> well, especially now because there's a precedent set, and they know if it's a, if it's a monumental achievement that these people are going to want that ball, and that they better be willing to fork over something, not not. A bat. <laughs> oh, here's a game used bat. Give me my 600th home run ball. Yeah. Yep. Fans have gotten smarter. I think Tom Brady, there's a football or something, Tom Brady, where yep. somebody threw it in the stands yes, and got yeah, it back. His, his yeah. wide receiver, yeah, his wide receiver that caught the touchdown pass. Yeah, his fans are learning, man. They can, they can monetize this stuff. Yep, yep. And now the bonus one is, like you said, you played, you played with – the some of the guys that have kids in the majors now do you see the kids surpassing their daddies in the majors or do you do you see them being just as good as their dads and this is the last one before we'll before we get off um i don't know if, i mean if you look at the blue jays guys uh vladdy jr is a star he's gonna have a hard time being better than his dad um bichette is a star his dad was a freaking great hitter too. Um, Biggio, um, I don't know, man. C 
Craig Biggio is star Hall of Famer. Two of those guys are Hall of Famers. So, and Bichette was a very good hitter too. Didn't so. you get to play with Bichette? No, I didn't. I no, he was gone when oh, I got he was there. Gone. I think he was. I don't know where he was at at the time, but um, yeah, Larry Walker was the right fielder, and um, Bichette was not there any longer. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but I think they can have a chance. What? I know Tatis is definitely going to be better than his daddy. I, I mean, I watch his daddy, but I mean, his dad. His dad was good, but yeah, I mean, he, you know, he'll probably be better. His dad's only known for the two grand slams in an inning. That's it. That's all he's known for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, well, Charlie Hayes' son is a pretty good player, but Charlie Hayes was a heck of a player, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. You never know if one guy has one or two good years. You know, and his dad played 14 years in the big league. It's hard to say that he's going to be better. Another good one. Another good one. Another good one, too, is Mondesi's kid. He's playing with the Royals right now. He's not going to be better than his dad. You don't think? No chance. No chance. No chance? No. Raul Raul Mondesi? Raul was a five-tool power-hitting outfielder, and his son's a light-hitting shortstop. Oh, that's true. Different position. That, that's that's true. I, I could see that one. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But, hey, it was fun. Thank you. I appreciate your time. It was fun. I'll stay in touch. I'll send you the episode. That way you can post it as well when you're when we're done here. Um, but, yeah, I'll stay in touch with you. It was fun. Thank you again. And you have a good night. Stay safe out there. All right, Jeff? All right, buddy. Yeah. Or shall nice I say, or shall I say, Frito? Yeah, there you go. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You take care. Have a good night, all right? Okay, man. We'll all see you, Byron. All right. Bye. All right. Jeff Fry, everybody. Good conversation. Great, great, great guest. I hope to have him on again. Uh, but until then, might be on tomorrow, might be on Saturday. I don't know yet. One of those two days, we'll see. Till then, stay safe. This concludes episode 79 with Jeff Fry, former major leaguer. Don't do anything stupid. Good night.